Hey, how we doing, church? We doing all right? All right, all right. Hey, I'm, uh, I'm Peter Anderson, the senior pastor here at FB Hanford. We're so excited that you're with us. We're continuing to march on in our series called Epistles, and I'll get to that in just a second. But man, I got to tell you, um, I spent uh, the evening, my wife and I did, spent the evening with both uh, with both. Kyle, who will be coming on November 4th, as well as Emily, um, who will be coming on the same day. And I am just excited about them coming on, excited the direction that they get to uh, take us. Um, I'm excited about their leadership and their energy. And so I hope that, that you're excited as well, because November 4th is going to be a great day. Um, and so uh, I just want to tell you first and foremost that I am pumped about this, and I hope uh, I hope you are too. And I hope you get the opportunity to come at two o'clock on, like like Jeff said, at two o'clock, to uh, to be able to meet them because um, as passionate as they are about Jesus and the ministries that they're going to help oversee, um, they're just overall great people as well. And so uh, November fourth, mark it on your calendar. Make sure you're there for that. But uh, we are, like I said, we're continuing in our series in the epistles. Last week, Pastor Jeff took care of the book of Ephesians for us, um, and. So so uh, as always, this just feels like drinking from a fire hose. I mean, every, th- every single weekend, we are just inundating you with information. And beyond that, these are uh, all of most of Paul's epistles, not all of them, most of Paul's epistles are written to correct behavior for the most part. They're written in response to something else. And so, man, I feel like you guys are just gluttons for punishment because you're coming back week after week after Jeff and I club you over the head with what Paul is saying to these early churches. Um, but today we get a little, bit of a, uh, a little bit of a break from that. Thank goodness we get to leave encouraged today and not beat down because today uh, we're going to be looking at the book of Philippians. Um, and uh, and the intent, just just before we get any further down, the intent of this series is to is to zoom out and look at what was being accomplished in these letters as a whole. And now, while we do a good job for those of us who are in different studies and small groups and that sort of thing, while we do a good job at zooming in on the verses and applying verses to our lives and posting those verses to our Facebook and Instagram pages and all that stuff. Oftentimes we forget that this letter was written as an entire letter, a manifesto to a single church that was then passed around from church to church for learning. And so I think that as we've zoomed out, at least for me, it's been incredibly helpful to see what Paul was trying to accomplish as a whole. Not just what Paul is trying to accomplish in sentences at a time. Because I know when I set out to write a letter or write an email, letter, I don't do that. Uh, to write an email to somebody, uh, I know that I am trying to I am trying to communicate one long message, not individual messages. And so I feel like it's been really helpful for us to zoom out to thirty thousand feet uh, and, and really understand the overall message that each of these churches uh, was getting. So so that's what we're doing, and the reason that we're doing it is because there are those of us in this room, myself included, who've been a part of faith for for either an incredibly long long time and may have missed some of the intention behind what Paul is is writing to some of these churches or maybe you're new to faith and the entire bible can be confusing and frustrating and we don't want that to be the case and so i feel like this series is helping us to understand what big picture is going on in the life of the church and that Paul is writing to 
You know, often, oftentimes, and we've talked about this before, Paul was trying to convey to his audience that one, Jews and Gentiles are both welcome into the family of God. And so as we know, Christianity was birthed out of a, out of a Jewish religion. Jesus was a Jew, was birthed out of, Jew, out of a Jewish religion, and largely that was Jesus's audience while he was on earth. And then after his death and his burial and his resurrection, the, the book of Acts, we see that the kingdom of God isn't just open to, to Jews anymore. It's open to Jews and Gentiles both. And so for those of you who are new to faith, there were two groups of people. There's still two groups of people in the world. There's Jews and there's Gentiles. Now, if you're wondering what camp you fall into, if you're not Jewish, you would be a good work, everybody. Let's close in prayer. No, um, so... <laughs> you wish. Okay. Um, but so, so Paul is largely his message is to try to convey that, that, that the kingdom of God is open to both Jews and Gentiles. And the other thing that Paul largely tries to do um, is he tries to tell the, tell the church that they should be a living representative of Christ and his love for people. So we see him correcting behavior over and over and over again in all of these epistles, all these letters that he is writing to the church. Paul's going to hit on both of these things in the book of Philippians. Quick question, though, uh, for those of you who are, who are uh, watching, who watch TV on a regular basis, is anybody really excited about all the campaign ads that are on right now? Super exciting, right? I fast forward through the show just to get to the commercials. I'm so excited about them. Um, they, are, they are the worst thing ever. But then, but then I think about it, and, and, and when those come on, I think about a little bit, like, man... Would I, could I run for office and not have like, like a, a commercial like that come out on, on TV? And if it did come out on TV, how bad would that commercial be? Right? Because we all have things that have happened in our lives or decisions that we've made in our lives that were probably not the proudest moments in our life, right? I mean, think back. Let's, let's all take a stroll down, a joyful stroll down memory lane and think back to the thing that you regret most in your life. And you're like, man, if other people knew about that, that probably wouldn't be the best representation of who I am. Right, and that's and that's largely Paul is going to address this in the book of Philippians. He's going to give us uh, some examples that that we're supposed to strive to. But even in in these commercials that I'm watching, I'm like, I don't know if I, if Paul would have included me as an example for other people to look to, for other people to follow in their faith. Maybe you're different than me. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know if anybody in here is running for office or not, but. Would I be an encouragement to others? So if you're sitting here today and you recognize that the decisions that you've made and the person that you are maybe isn't the cleanest, take heart. Because at the end of this message today, we should come to a greater understanding of who we are now that Christ gets to intercede on our behalf. That Christ gets to go before us. And I say this because one of the things we need to recognize is that as a church, as a Christian, people are watching us. People are watching all the time. People are watching how you interact with others. Okay, well, they say that they're a Christian. What things are they posting on their Facebook page? Yeah, they're watching your social media for sure. 
They're listening to your conversations. They're watching you and, and, and how you interact with people who are asking you for money. You're being watched. We are all being watched constantly and not as like a big brother thing, like you should be terrified. But as, as, as a reminder to us that there are other people who want to see if this whole Christian thing, if this whole faith, these things that we say that we believe are actually things that we put in place in our everyday life. Things that we're actually moving towards and acting on. So Paul gets the opportunity to talk to us a little bit about that today. So let's get into it. Uh, here's, here's our first slide. So this is the book of Philippians. The author is Paul. The, the written date of this is between, most people agree that it's 62 AD that Paul wrote this. It was written to the church in Philippi and it was written from Rome specifically. Now, because it's written from Rome, there's a couple things that we need to understand, especially uh, written to the church in Philippi, because Philippi would have been subject to Roman authority. Okay, so the church in Philippi, it was the first church in Eastern Europe, and it was a Roman colony there. It's actually in Eastern Macedonia, for those of you who want to know about geography, for the rest of us, tune that out. One of the things that the church had to work through, though, was this idea of patriotic nationalism, that, that the church in Philippi was all about Roman rule. We love Rome. And Rome ultimately had an issue with idol worship. And so people had a hard time separating their love of Roman authority and their love of the idols that Rome was pushing forth. And so the church in Philippi oftentimes had a difficult time wrestling with that. But when Paul left, the church continued to live under a persecution because of the fact that they were saying, no, we can live under Roman authority, but at the same time, we're also going to love and honor Jesus Christ, the risen Savior. That's what we're called to do. And so they continued to live under this persecution, but they remained a growing community of devout believers. As a side note, if you ever want to know where the church tends to thrive most, it's not in places like America. It's in places where persecution is usually at its highest. Places like China, Iraq, Iran. You want to talk about rates of people coming to faith? Go to, go to any place where persecution is happening. Real persecution is happening. Not somebody disliked your Facebook comment. Real persecution is happening. And you'll see a church that's absolutely flourishing. But I digress. Uh, this is one of the, uh, the, the few letters that Paul writes that isn't in response to something dumb that a church has done um, or, or was doing. Rather, the church in Philippi actually sent a man to Paul as he was in prison. And so the church of Philippi recognized that Paul is writing from a prison in Rome. He sends a guy by the name of, of Epaphroditus. Don't try to spell it, but his name is Epaphroditus to support him. So Paul sent a letter back with Epaphroditus to thank them for their love and their support, but would send him with encouragement as well. It wasn't just a letter of Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving. Philippi, unlike some of Paul's other letters, doesn't have a consistent flow. It doesn't have a single overarching theme, but a few things that were put together as Paul encouraged them and thanked them for their generosity. So let's jump in. Section one. 
Section one is going to cover chapters one, chapter one, verse one through one twenty six, and the entire theme of this is Paul's imprisonment. Right, so so you have to assume that the church in Philippi, their most pressing concern is how Paul is doing. Man, we sent we sent our boy Epaphroditus to go check on Paul. We want to know how Paul is doing. So he he hits this real hard in verses one or chapter one one through one twenty six. So he jumps in with his normal greeting, turns his attention to what most of the church is curious about, and Paul, as usual, does something uh, that that. Uh, that I hope, I wish that we would all do. But what he does is he turns his current, not so glamorous situation into a teaching moment for the church in Philippi. So here we have Paul rotting in a Roman prison with terrible conditions. And he takes an opportunity to say, you know what? It's not so bad. And here's why. And that's our key verse of this section is Philippians 121. For, for Paul says, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. It's one of our oft quoted verses. We love that verse. We love saying, no, that's me a hundred percent. But let's dig a little bit deeper into what Paul meant by that. Cause that verse overall was pretty self-explanatory, but let's dig a little bit. The church obviously knew that Paul was in prison. They sent Epaphroditus on a massively long journey to check on him and encourage him. So he wants them to know that he's fine. Not because the prison is this ritzy white collar affair because it's absolutely not. But because as long as he's living, he gets more opportunities to talk to people about who Jesus is and what he has done in his life. She says, you know what? I know I'm in prison. Don't worry about me though. It's cool. Because as long as I'm here, I get to tell a whole bunch of other people about who Jesus is. He gets opportunities to share the gospel with the people who are around him already. And the people around him would largely be guards and other prisoners. Can you imagine being the Roman guard in charge of guarding Paul? That would be the worst thing ever, right? Like, especially if you don't agree with Paul, even if you agree with him, you're like, Paul, I get it. Chill out. But can you imagine not agreeing with Paul and, and, and so, you know, your commanding officer or whatever it was called at the time was like, Hey, you know what? You're in charge of that guy. Like that would be a punishment for most people because you know, every opportunity Paul got, he's turning it into a teaching lesson about Jesus. Like daily, he's going to get bread, his bread and water ration, whatever it may be. And Paul's like, man, this water is really refreshing, but not as refreshing as the living water that is Jesus Christ. Am I right, brother? Right? Like Paul, I just feel like would be that guy or, or, you know, Paul gets taken out to be whipped and beat and punished because he was already sharing his faith. And then as soon as he gets whipped and beat and punished, the Roman guard is like, like, well, have you had enough? Paul's like, you know what? Hey, I just want to take a second and say, thank you for reminding me what my savior went through on my behalf. So thank you. We'll see you tomorrow. Right? Like that's who I feel like Paul would be in this midst. And so Paul wants to know, like, look for me to live as Christ and to die is gain. Everything that I am, every, the, the entire personhood of who I am is caught up in who Jesus is. And so as long as I'm living, that's who I'm going to proclaim. That's it. But you know what? You know what? Church in Philippi, it also wouldn't be so bad if I died either. Like, Paul's like, I'm not going to miss you. 
I get to go hang out with Jesus. I get to see the risen Savior again face to face. And so either option in this case isn't bad. For me to live as Christ, I get to tell people about Jesus and what he's done in my life. And for me to die as gain, man, I get to go hang out with the guy that I've been telling people about for years now. I'm in a great situation. And the church of Philippi is probably like, you're in a Roman prison, bro. Not okay. Man. Can you imagine being the guard and threatening someone who had an outlook like that? Like the guard would threaten him with death and Paul wouldn't be able to stop smiling. Like, awesome. <laughs> it just blows my mind. But that kind of, that, that, that verse right there, for me to live, in, to live as Christ and to die as gain, that kind of becomes the marching orders for the remainder of the chapter. He wants everyone to be able to live with such a confidence and such an assurance that Jesus is... Uh, what we should be proclaiming in Jesus is what we should look forward to. That's kind of Paul's marching orders for the remainder of that entire chapter. And I wish I had the confidence that Paul does with this, right? I mean, we all have a hard enough time talking to our best friends about Jesus, much less a guy who just beat us to a bloody pulp. And if you say more about it, he's probably going to do it again. We have a hard enough, I wish I had the confidence that Paul does. So as Paul does not know his fate yet, he takes an opportunity to encourage the church in Philippi towards living like Christ, which Paul always does in all of his epistles. He consistently is pointing people back to right living. Now, in most cases that we've seen, it's in response to something dumb that the church did, like I said. But in this case, Paul was simply encouraging them towards right living, which brings us into section two, which section two would be chapter one, verse 27 through chapter two, verse 18. Our major theme is going to be live like Jesus, because that's what Paul is calling the church of Philippi to. So Paul isn't messing around. He wants the people of the church in Philippi to stand strong in their faith, regardless of what happens to him. And that's his encouragement. Which is why the key verse here is found in 127. It says this. It says this. There we go. Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then, whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I'll know that you stand firm in, in the one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel. He's talking about living like Jesus in unity with one another, regardless of what happens to him. He's like, look, it doesn't matter if I'm here or not. This is what you're called to. So do it. Go. Congratulations. You said yes to the most difficult thing, but also the best thing that you could have ever imagined. Go, regardless of where I am. Have you ever had someone in your own personal life. And I want you to think for a second. Have you ever had someone in your own personal life whose faith, like you just wanted their faith? Like if I could just achieve their faith, man, I would be killing it in the spiritual world. Like it would be a no-brainer. You guys have somebody like that? I mean, think about that person in your head for a second. Just think for a second. Because I have a couple of those people. You know, the church that I came from down, uh, down south, there's like four guys on that staff, four pastors on that staff that I just think to myself, man, if I could one day even have a percentage of the faith that those guys had, have, they're still alive, those guys have, I, would, I mean, I, I would count myself as lucky 
at that point. But there was one person in particular, he wasn't down south. There was another guy in particular that I probably haven't talked to in 11, 12, 13 years, something like that. Um, and his faith is what I hope that I could attain one day. I mean, Paul, I feel like is where we should all try to be going. But, but this guy, his name is John. He's a real life example to me of faith and living faithfully and living according to the gospel. He's a real tangible person. And his faith is alive and it's well. He's well into his 60s. Um, the first time I met him, he was probably late fifties. Um, I was a teenager. I was in a youth group and, uh, that was the first time that I had ever met him. He was actually my youth pastor's dad. Um, and we were going on this trip. I forgot what the trip was. Um, but I remember a distinct conversation. We got home from the trip and he looked at me and he said, you were created for something that only you can do. He said, don't shy away from your calling that Christ has put on your life. He took an opportunity to just speak truth over me. He took an opportunity as me, as a dumb 16 year old, no offense if you're a dumb 16 year old in here, but he, <laughs> but he took an opportunity to speak truth over me. He took an opportunity to step out of his, his, who he was supposed to be, this older, wiser sage, and just took an opportunity. He sat down with me, and he just encouraged me. And from that point forward, when I was 16, when I was 17, when I was 18, when I was 19, man, he took an opportunity to just love me well. I, was, I went to school up at Chico State for a year, and on my way back home, from Chico one year or one weekend, uh, he said, Hey, stop by the house. I'd love to, uh, I'd love to just have lunch with you and talk with you. And I was like, great. And so I saw, he lived in Sacramento. Uh, and so I stopped in at his house and, uh, his wife had made this like comfort food meal. It was probably chicken pot pies, but if not, it was probably close. Um, and I was still using my teen study Bible at that point. Right. And, uh, and he said, hey, what are you reading right now? Like, what Bible are you reading? And we had that conversation. And I just said, hey, show me, show me what you're reading. Like, I would love to know. Like, I feel like I'm kind of outgrowing this thing. And he was like, yeah, sure. So he brought out his Bible. And he taught me how to use my Bible correctly for the first time. And even a guy who's well into his 60s now, he is concerned about his kids' faith. He is concerned about his grandkids' faith. And he's continuing to shepherd young people along because he knows that, that to live is Christ and to die is gain. But I want, I want to know in my faith, and I want you to consider if the person who you look up to, their faith that you look up to, if that person was to pass away, if that person was to, to, to no longer be around, would your faith flourish because of it or would your faith drop off because of it? Because my hope would be is that my faith, if John were to pass away, that my faith would be even bolder because of it. I would say, you know what? I am part of John's legacy. I'm not his blood. Like, yeah, there's no reason for me to, to carry on John's legacy but I am part of it because he spoke truth over me. He spoke truth into my life because of the faith that he had in Christ. 
And so because of that, I hope my faith is stronger now, stronger now when he would no longer be around and there will be a day where he will no longer be around. But I would hope that my faith would be stronger at that point. And I think that's what Paul is trying to get at here. I think Paul is trying to say, look, regardless of if I'm around or if I'm not, if I get to see you, if I don't make it, if I just hear about you, regardless of what it is, man, your faith is your own. You are called to this. So respond appropriately. He's encouraging them and spurring them forward. And I do think Paul is trying to ready that church in Philippi for him not seeing them again. I think Paul wants them to know that even though if he doesn't make it back, that the things he has taught them are still true and they should continue to try to emulate them, which is why he launches into this big idea of the entire book in chapter two. Here's your big idea. I know you guys are like, it's in the wrong spot. It's supposed to be at the end of my notes. Now we didn't mess up. This is where the big idea is. The big idea is a condensed version of the gospel story in Philippians 2, 6 through 11. So if you go to Philippians 2, verses 6 to 11, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and flip it open. This is a piece of scripture that I would love to be able to memorize at some point. I wish I could say I didn't. I wish I was better at Bible memorization in general, but I'm not. But this is what it says. So if you have your Bible, great. If not, you can follow along on the screens. It says this. He's talking about Jesus. Who being in the very nature God... So if you backed it up and just said, Jesus, who being in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. So he's saying, look, he's equal to God, but regardless of the fact that they are equals, he doesn't consider equality something that he, that he needs to take advantage of. Rather, instead, he made himself nothing. By taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. So he's like, look, he's God. We know he's God. He's equal to God. The God, the creator of the entire universe. We know that. But regardless of who he is, regardless of his status in the heavenly realms, Jesus came down to earth and stretched himself into human skin on our behalf. Verse 8. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself becoming, by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Look, he became man. He is God. He became man. And not only did he become man, he became obedient to death. Jesus and God operate outside of that. Jesus had the option to operate outside of that. But he decided to humble himself to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, so because of all of that, Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue acknowledging that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God, the father. Amen. He's reminding them that Jesus is God and willingly paid our debts for us, willingly paid our debts for us. He willingly temporarily set aside the benefits of being God just so we could be with him forever. And because that ha- because of that, he's been exalted to the highest places and every knee will be a- will be in proclamation of Christ being Lord. He's saying, "Look, I don't care about my life because the same guy that stepped in on my behalf is willing to use me for his mission." Paul is telling them that. Like, look, it doesn't matter. Everything that I am does not matter because Jesus is willing to use me. 
The God of the universe is willing to use me. You know how backwards that sounds? Right? Like, it's just backwards. It doesn't make any sense. It doesn't. Because if you think about it, like, like let, let's go, we'll go non-political. So we'll say, we'll say Queen of England instead of our president. Um, because everybody has feelings about our president. Everybody's pretty neutral on the Queen of England. So we'll go with the Queen of England. Unless you're into, like, the royal wedding, and I don't understand you people anyway. So, Queen of England. Okay? It would be like the Queen of England stepping in on our behalf. Like, like you are about to, to, to get fired, right, for something dumb that you did. And the Queen of England is like, you know what? Time out. I'll take his place. I'm going to be fired from being Queen of England. What? What? That doesn't even make any sense. That's backwards. Like, you're way more important than my little job that I have. That doesn't make any sense. The Queen of England says, no, 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 no. This is exactly what needs to happen. This is exactly what needs to be done. Because what you're going to do then is you're going to tell everybody what I did for you. And more people are going to love me because of the fact that I stepped in on your behalf. Because you get the opportunity to continue to love me. You get the opportunity to continue to pursue me. You get the opportunity to continue to worship and honor me with your life. Because to live is Christ and to die is gain. It's backwards. And that's where Paul's going with all of this. He's telling them that, that look, you are God's plan A. That's a terrifying statement. Like, look, God, his whole plan, everything that's going on, you're plan A, bro. What? But he's God. He shouldn't. No? Okay, me? Okay. I'm going to do my best. And that's where Paul is going. Reminding Philippi of Christ's greatness so they can then understand the weight of the role in which we all have. Which brings up section 3 then. Section 3 is going to be found in chapters 2 verse 19 through 4.1. And those are examples of those living like Christ. In this section, Paul gives a number of examples of people. Um, who are, who are just absolutely killing it when it comes to living like Jesus. He talks about Epaphroditus, the guy who brought him the letter, and Epaphroditus' faith. He talks about Timothy, and then he talks about himself. Because we're talking about Pauline epistles, we're going to focus on Paul. And he's not doing it to brag. He is reminding him of what he said before in our key verse in Philippians 3, 8 through 10. This is what it says. What is more... I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. He's saying, look, my entire life, Everything that I have done, everything that I am known for, everything that I will ever do in my own power is all for nothing as long as I can know Jesus. That's a radical. That's crazy. That he's saying, look, I don't care. 
I don't care about anything in my past. I don't care about anything in my future as long as I can know Christ and make him known. That's a radical faith. Put yourself in those shoes. Could you say that? The answer is no. I can't say that. I want to. I want my faith to be as such. But you're telling me right now that, that my hobbies, my career, my kids, my wife, everything that I have worked for to this point in my life is all trash. That's hard. That's real hard. And that's exactly what Paul is saying right here, that all of it, all of it is garbage as long as I can know Christ and make him known. That's radical. Notice, though, he doesn't say those things are wrong. So don't mishear me. I'm not saying sell all your stuff, don't have any hobbies, you know, disown your kids, get a divorce. I'm not saying any of those things. But what Paul is saying is, if it came down to it, that he doesn't care about the rest of that stuff in comparison to knowing and loving in Jesus, which puts us into the last section, which is chapter 4, verses 2 through 23. The major theme here is a challenge and a closing, largely. Like any good pastor, he, he, he closes with a challenge, gives them marching orders, tells them to lean on God, not on yourself. That God has good intentions for you as you trust him. And that's not to say it's the same good intentions that we hope, because our good intentions is that we're going to win that $1.6 billion Mega Millions jackpot that's going on on Tuesday night. I didn't know about that. You do now. I should have kept my mouth shut. So my odds went up of winning. Um, I'm joking. But if I win, I won't be. Um, but he, this is what he is saying. We have, he has good, God has good intentions for us. And he even says that in verse six and following, he says, don't be anxious about anything, but in every situation by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. In all things, a peace that surpasses understanding. Whew. So the question for the entire book of Philippians, the question for the entire book of Philippians is how are you representing Christ? How are you representing Christ? And that's not a fill in the blank, but if you're taking notes, that might be one worth jotting down. How are you representing Christ? Because Paul, as he is writing, is doing his best to encourage people to live according to who Jesus is. Live like the Savior of the world came and died for you because he did. That's what he's telling the church in Philippi. That's what we can garner from this. So the question is, is are you an example to Christ to those people around you? Are you examples like Paul, like Epaphroditus, like Timothy? Because we all have a part to play. All of us have people like Paul did when he was in prison. People who are already surrounding us, who are already around us, people that we already have relationships with, that we communicate with on a regular basis. Here we call that our oikos. Oikos is a Greek word that means household, people who, who, are, who are a part of the things that you do on a regular basis. 
It's our oikos, those people. It's our responsibility to make sure that those people recognize Christ in us. Recognize that our lives are a reflection of him. Recognize that our words should be words that are encouraging people towards Jesus, proclaiming Jesus. And it's not, like, it's not just actions, like I said. Like one of the, those famous quotes is St. Francis of Assisi, right? Preach the gospel at all times and if necessary, use words. Nah, I think he's wrong. I think you should just preach the gospel at all times. Using your words and your actions because there are people in your lives that are watching you. There are people, whether they're on Facebook or in your office or in your home, sitting around your dinner table or at your, school, your kids' soccer games or they cut your hair or they're your, your regular teller at your bank. I don't know. I don't know. You do. You know those people who are in your life, but it's your responsibility to make sure that they know about Jesus. That's what Paul did. And if we're saying, hey, let's figure out what we, can, what we can garner from Paul's wisdom in all of this, Paul's wisdom was pretty clear. Hey, look, uh, to live is Christ and to die is gain. My whole life, everything that's happened till now, trash, unless God's a part of it. So it makes it evidently clear that all of us who, who are sheepish about sharing our faith, sheepish about being honest with people about the things that we actually believe, we need to recalibrate and remind ourselves that no, to live is Christ. To live isn't comfort. To live is Christ. To live is not comfort. And guess what? When we're done, man, we get to go hang out with Jesus. But to live is Christ. Can you imagine what it would look like if our church just counted their life as nothing so God could be pointed to as everything? To say, you know what? It's not about me. It's not about my life. It's not about what I'm doing. It's 100% about God working in and through me. It's 100% about me becoming more holy on a regular basis. And I become more holy. I get the opportunity to share with more people. And more people get to ask more questions about who I am. you imagine if our church decided to do that? What it would look like, not just in here, but for the capital C church, that big church, every church what that would look like. Yeah, and I'll, and I'll end with this. Um, the, 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 transfer, the transformation, the transformative power that I would have would be absolutely incredible, first of all. But second of all, being a younger person, people a lot of times ask me, how do we get younger people back in church? Let me answer that for you. Be authentic. Let it sink in. Authenticity. Because, because young people aren't just curious about whether or not the gospel is true. They're curious about whether or not the gospel works in our lives. They're curious about, about, about if they believe this, what does this actually mean? Because young people today want to be a part of something that's bigger than themselves. And unless we get to a point where we can say, no, 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 no. To, for me, to live as Christ and to die as gain. Everything that I go, I'm going to do is going to be for Jesus. And when I die, I get to hang out with them. You want to know how to get young people back in church? Be authentic. And authenticity means 
that you do the things that you say that you believe. And I'm chief of sinners. I get it. It's hard. And then when you mess up, you go and you ask for forgiveness from them and you continue to move forward. Authenticity. Be real. Put your faith that we all proclaim we have into action. That's where revival comes from. It doesn't come from a better preacher. It doesn't come from different music. It doesn't come from a better kids program. That's not where revival comes from. We can hire all the staff in the world. But unless we are authentic with our faith and acting out the things in which we say we believe, nothing here will change. Nothing here will change. And Paul is begging the church in Philippi, be authentic. Be exactly who you've been called to be. And as you do that, more and more and more people will come to want to know and love Jesus as well. Let's pray. Father, man, I'm a, a, Paul, thank you for Paul. And thank you for his words, for his encouragement, for his boldness, for him being as radical as he is. It just, it blows my mind every time I read about him, read about what he is talking with other churches about. So God, thank you for him and his encouragement and his admonishment and his teaching. And even the fact that you have preserved these letters for us, your words for us. And God, I pray that we would be a a community that is indeed authentic, a community that wants to move forward, a community that, that wants to be real about our faith, a community that reads your word and doesn't just think it's a good idea that we read your word and we take them as marching orders. God, that we would, we would read your word and it would pierce our hearts. We'd listen to your spirit and the beckoning of the spirit, your Holy Spirit that gets to live inside of us as we say yes to you, that we would listen to that and heed its call, that we would stop ignoring it, stop shoving it to the side, stop saying next time. God, that we would just say yes to your spirit. And that as we say yes and we become more bold, Father, that we would be able to share your word, that we would realize we don't have to be perfect, but we, we, you know, we don't have to be. That you're going before us. And that regardless of our comfort level to live as Christ. So God, I pray that, that we would be authentic in our faith and that as that authenticity grows that we wouldn't be able to contain the amount of people who want to come in to the church that our faith would be radical they would be willing to step out and God it is even as as this whole message is pointed towards authenticity and pointed towards people uh, who already love you, people at the church of Philippi who already love you. God, uh, I know there are people in here who are yet to make that decision, yet to say yes to you. And so, Father, just now I would like to give them the opportunity to say yes. 
that in the privacy of their seats, Father, that they would say that, that, A, I admit that I'm a sinner in need of a Savior, just like we all do. Every single one of us are guilty. Every single one of us should be condemned to death because of the things that we have done and the sins that we have committed against you. Romans is very clear about that. That we would admit that we're a, neater, a sinner in need of a Savior. That we would believe, be, believe that you sent your Son on our behalf, much as Paul talked about in chapter 2. You sent your son on our behalf to die on a cross so then we could be with you in heaven forever. We believe that that happened and see the hard one for all of us is choose to follow you every single day of our lives. That we would choose to be authentic with our faith. Father, we love you. We're grateful for you. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Hey, a couple things real quick. Me and Pastor Jeff will be on either side of the stage if you want to pray. Beyond that, if you did make a decision today on your Connect card, there's a little box that we would love to have you check on your way out. So we'll see you next time. Bye-bye.